What is up, everybody? You are listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. Tonight, we don't have any guests. We're just going to review the 20-point win for the Cats over the Squawks in Manhattan to secure a berth to the Big 12 title game in Arlington this coming weekend versus TCU. And that's it. We're going to review that game. We're going to talk some ball. We've got some fun stuff lined up for you tonight. I am your commish, Bob Trollsby, and yet again, I am joined by the dynamic duo of the Good Chef and Fireball Matt. Boys, how are we doing tonight? We're living it up, baby. We're championship. We're going to the ship. We're championship bound, baby. Let's go. I'm so pumped. Who'd have thought? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I would have thought I'd put money on it at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I mean, do we need to go back to, you know, one of the first Cocaine Willie episodes previewing the season? I feel like all of us are probably guilty in saying we were expecting this. We thought that this was where the team was going to be at the end of Big 12 play, playing for a championship, albeit probably not against TCU. So we got that wrong. But damn it, like it happened. Um, I'm so excited. You know, this is a game I'm, I'm just, I'm excited for the players. And honestly, I'm excited for all the K-State fan base and family because we've been wanting to play for a championship for a long time. And now's our, now's, now's our team's time. Um, I'm super. Obviously the first big 12 title game birth since, since they reinstated it. And, and we continue the trend of there's been a new team every year uh, to make the, the Big 12 title game that hadn't made it prior. So, uh, But the first one since, what, 2003? So it feels good to finally get back in that championship game. And, and you know, if things are trending in the right direction. I feel pretty good about our chances. So first off, uh, folks who are in the live room, go ahead and stick around. We're, we want to get to you uh, for guys talking ball for um, – you know, talking about a little bit about the season and, and we don't have a guest tonight to, to help us preview the TCU game. So we want as much participation as possible. But first, we do have to talk about the game against the Squawks. The Cats pulled out a big victory that at times, especially in that first half, felt a little like, you know, KU's still in it. They're still kind of they've got a chance to, to come back and maybe take the lead here at some point. But really, once that second half hit, it was the, the cats controlled the entire thing. But once the second half hit, the defense was just on lockdown. They, they didn't give up a single point in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter only gave up six, which was a, literally a, a carbon copy of the previous week against West Virginia. So, I mean, boys, this is 14 straight against the Jayhawks. This is, you know, I want to say, I think I saw a stat and I'll get to it later. I think this is 12 straight games where when the Cats score 30-plus points, the Cats win the game. So I'll start it with that. How does it feel to get another win off of KU? Well, And we'll go from there. My gosh, does it feel good? It, I mean, the the relief is off the shoulders. There was – and I can only imagine what the players are going through. Well, they're probably – they're toned athletes, so they're not too worried about it. But the simpleton fan like me, I mean, it just – the pressure is there. You could just feel it. And they achieved so much this season, and it all comes down to one game, basically, versus your bitter rival who you don't like. And that is an improved team. So we can't 
we can't say it's like the the last game of the season versus our old, you know, Jayhawks that just stroll into Manhattan and get creamed by 50. It was an, an improved team and <clears throat> they they really brought it to us, you know, especially offensively. You know, they that's what my fear was going into this game. I was never worried about their defense and our offense doing what we need to do. It was always, what can our defense do? And like you said, Bob, it is the same old story. The, it seems like for the past two weeks, it's give up points in the first half, make adjustments, shut them down. And, you know, the 30 winning, winning every time you score 30 points, the, the trend lives on and, you are the catalyst for it. So as long as you keep bringing up the stat, I think we're going to get it done, buddy. You know, this was a game that, and I don't know if you all will agree with me, but I was still nervous with a nine-point lead. I'm in the stands. Oh, for and sure. Like, nine, you know, we're up two possessions, but God, this this does not – it still didn't feel great. And, it, and you have to chalk it up to – the competitiveness of this game again, because I like that this game is competitive. I like winning it, but having this game be more competitive with a KU team that, you know, you see flashes of talent there. There's no question about it, but it it just felt different having a nine point lead against KU. You're at home, you know, you want to pull this out. And so this was a game against the Jayhawks that I I felt more relieved after a football game than I the most relieved than I have in many games this season and probably for the past few years um, because there was a lot of talk there was so much on the line and you know to be able to stretch that lead out in the fourth quarter felt really good um and that was kind of when the rain stopped too which that also felt really good because it, it was definitely not a great environment um from a weather perspective but it was one of the best home environments i've seen in years i really do believe that that first half was electric and it just feels great i mean at the end of the day it feels great just to be able to chalk this one or you know, check this one off and know that, you know, we were able to, we are able to beat up on the in-state rival. I love it. Did you, were you still nervous at halftime with the nine point lead? A hundred percent. Seriously. I'm never not nervous unless it's that Oklahoma state game. I, and even there were points during that game in the first half where I, I still felt nervous of like, well, the, the game against TCU, we were up 28 to 10. Who knows what's going to happen here? And Chef, what? like, like the, I think the biggest reason, at least for me at halftime, was I didn't, I didn't feel like we were controlling the game as much as I would have thought in the first half, considering all of the things that went wrong on the KU side. It was a nine-point game despite them. You know, they had the safety. They had the fumble, you know, they had all these things that were obviously really good for us. So I just didn't, I, it's not that I didn't believe the team was going to hold on to a nine point lead at the half, but it's a nine point lead against KU. And I didn't feel like the momentum was at a point where I could feel really good. I I felt a little different because I was nervous. obviously very nervous going into the game, just from what was on the line. 
I knew they were a talented offensive team, but what really made me nervous was that first quarter, the first drive was a three and out. You know, we're one we're one missed tackle away from getting the first down and maybe extending that drive, but you can't say the what if because he made an open field tackle. Very good on their part. They muff the punt, we score, and then they drive down the field and tie it back up. So now I'm still a little nervous because we haven't done anything on offense. Mind you, we get, what was it, a two-yard loss on a Malik Knowles catch, and then I think a run for maybe zero yards or an incomplete pass, and then that's when I'm really hitting the nervous button because they kind of drove down the field and made it look kind of easy. Like I was nervous about their offense being able to move the ball, but Ben Sennett makes that catch, and it's it's on from there. Once we once we score, uh, we we don't score. We yeah, we score there, make it fourteen to seven, and then Zentner does an absolute. I mean, he is an illegal player. He's a cheat code, really, if you think about it. I mean, he puts it right where it has to be. He doesn't <clears throat> like we thought. Chris Tennant maybe should be the guy that kicks off because he could just boot it out the back of the end zone, but. Ty Zentner is gone to a different level, a God mode for a leg. And he puts it right where the kick returner thinks that he can return it, but he should obviously just fair catch it. And we get the safety after all that. And then once the safety happens, I, all my nerves were gone. They were all alleviated. I don't know about, I just, that's just me. Cause once we got it within two scores, I knew that they couldn't, because we were going to be able to move the ball. And I was never really nervous after we extended it past two scores. Yeah, I mean, to just to your point on Zentner, I mean, he was he was perfect. He was one for one on field goals, six for six on extra points. And the dude, just thinking about the circumstances that he came into earlier this season where things were rocky when, you know, a couple missed field goals against Tulane, a couple missed field goals here and there, on from Chris Tennant and and Zentner comes in in relief duty and he delivers and and if they had a triple crown in football award for for the, you know the ability to both punt and kick and then also do field goals like I I would award that award to Ty Zentner because he deserves it um just coming in relief duty he did an incredible job he seemed completely unfazed in every facet of the game and it's been awesome to see him do that. Awesome seeing him get that moment where he was able to kiss the power cat on senior day. You know, could not speak more highly of what he's been able to do in a difficult situation to come in. I mean, I'm not sure if either of you were ever relief pitcher playing baseball growing up, but being a relief pitcher, when you're in a dicey situation, that is one of the scariest things that you can ever encounter. And he delivered and he did it well and he did it with grace and he he kicked ass. So love Ty Zentner for that. He's like the Pat Vendette of special teams. Am I right? Bob Trollsby. <laughs> his, uh, his name is pronounced Venditti, but yeah, Whatever. Close, close enough. Close enough. That's a deep cut for those of you who know me. I was a big <sighs> Creighton fan growing up. Sorry, I had to. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, anyway, so let's just talk some stats real quick. We'll focus on offense first, then we'll move to defense. I feel like we did a pretty good job of talking about Zentner, but but I do also want to talk about kick return because Malik did a pretty damn good job kick returning as well. 
Offensively, Bill the Butcher, he was 11 for 21 passing with 213 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a very, very solid outing considering the circumstances. I mean, Matt, you were there. You know it was raining. It was pretty tough, pretty tricky situation knowing that like my hands get super cold when it's 40, 50 degrees and raining. So um, what were y'all's takes or your takeaways from Will Howard's performance on Saturday? You know, I, f- I felt with the weather conditions, he did a great job of just not putting the ball out there in difficult situations, if that makes sense. Um, you know, he was 11 for 21 for 213 yards, which we compared to some of the other games this season, we would probably deem that as an average performance. And that doesn't mean that it was an average performance. I mean, the two touchdowns, but the play calls were more stacked for the run, which makes sense with the weather. Um, so I, I felt that he did a great job of keeping the offense going. Um, I think we only had three, um, three times we punted in that game. So at the end of the day, this was, it it wasn't his best performance of the season, but it was the performance that we needed from a quarterback to enable his running backs, the ability to make some plays, Um, especially, I mean, the weather was not great. Um, There were definitely times where, you know, I couldn't imagine throwing a football in that. And, And even beside the weather, we know that KU was gashed in the running game the previous week by Texas. So if, if we were going to have an advantage, it was going to be by leveraging Deuce and DJ and trying to get some of those plays on, on the ground that totally gashed KU the previous week. Yeah. I mean, their run defense is very garbage to say the least. And, you know, last week when we had, uh, BT on he explained it all to us and you know we kind of thought that we'd be able to just maul them up front but realistically their defensive line came to play and it wasn't easy for us in the first half and that's when Will Howard had to come in there even during the rainy conditions he had to step up and extend drives for us get us in the end zone a couple times and let's think about it for a second Philip had two drops one in the end zone. Malik had a blatant drop. I don't know if one was in the end zone. And he was a fraction of a, f- a fraction of inches away from an absolute bucket dime dropped in on Deuce in the corner of the end zone if it wasn't for a play by their best defensive back. An absolute spectacular play in the rain reaching back to tip that ball away. He had an excellent game if it wasn't for the drops, but you can't say if, but, you know, realistically, if it wasn't raining and it wasn't a monsoon, those are caught balls, and we're officially moving the ball through the air. I think Kansas had their share of drops as well, but, you know, it's nowhere near as uh, significant as ours were. I mean, maybe their two-point conversion was uh, pretty significant, but – you can't you can't play the what if game, but Will Howard had a, I would say a pretty decent game. Yeah, I think de- like pretty decent is what we needed for that game. Um, you know, there were times where I was a little frustrated with some of the play calling with the run game. Um, I did feel we had a lot of inside the tackle runs that weren't necessarily 
getting us success. Um, but as we started moving outside the tackles, you know, the, the fourth down play call to kind of the pat, it wasn't a shovel pass, but you know, or maybe it was a shovel pass out to deuce to score that touchdown on fourth down. You know, that was the type of run game that I felt we needed and, you know, to stop moving away from running inside the tackles, even though KU's you know run defense has been porous all year. I didn't feel like we were super successful in that. Um, but you know, yeah, I, as a whole, this is a game that we needed Will Howard to, you know, provide us a decent game to get a victory. And he did that. And, but to, to Colin Kahn's credit, I mean, and, and his MO bent the whole season, that flip out to deuce doesn't work if we don't try to pound it inside the tackles and suck them in basically the entire game. They know it's coming and it works perfectly because you think that everybody's crashing in, that we're going to try to run a dive and you just toss it out to deuce. And if, if he doesn't set plays up where we're running inside the tackles and trying to establish the inside of the, the line of scrimmage and running up the middle, the jet sweeps don't work. The, all that stuff doesn't work because you have to bring those safeties. Those linebackers have to be looking inside. And how much counter I think we kind of run with the pulling centers and the pulling guards, you have to have the eyes of the linebackers looking inside, knowing that the dive or the – inside zone or inside counter is coming and then we can kind of hit it outside it's kind of all set up and Colin Klein is kind of in a master he's in his bag right now working working the play sheet to where it might not look pretty for a little bit because he's setting something up and to to hone in on Deuce real quick so let's just say and and maybe this is speculation we are mostly under the assumption he's probably not coming back next year and will declare for the NFL draft, just given that most signs have pointed to that and most of the information that we've seen has pointed to that. So, so with that caveat, talk about a great day for Deuce in what could be, or or probably will be his last game at Bill Snyder family stadium. He had 229 all purpose yards with nearly 150 on the ground in 25 total carries with a rushing touchdown and a 32-yard longest run. Um, but adding to that, he had an incredible breakaway reception for 80 yards that set up the Cats for a touchdown to put uh, put us up 30-14 to 14 in the second quarter. And then on, on DJ Giddens' side of it, uh, he punched in a touchdown as well and had 44 on the day. But, but let's just talk about, I mean, what a day, what a way for Deuce to go out in, in what could have been his final game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I mean, what an absolute legend. We're going to miss him so much. It's kind of crazy how under the radar a 229 all-purpose day goes versus in his last game at Bill. I mean, you know, we give all we we give the credit to Will Howard and, and deservedly so, but the MVP of the season has to be Deuce, right? I mean, He's been the most consistent player outside of Iowa State, I think, is really his only, I mean, Tulane as well, I guess. It was just, but the the the, the magnitude of the season, what was expected of him, I think he's checked all the boxes. He hasn't gotten to the end zone, but, you know, having Adrian Martinez as that touchdown vulture, he'll, he'll, he'll take some touchdowns off of you. And I think that's helped Deuce, throughout the season too, not having to 
have the wear and tear of, you know, being the goal line back as well. But Deuce is a stud. DJ is going to be an absolute monster for us next year. And it's going to be fun to see him with even more confidence hitting the holes and being that every down back. Yeah. And I'll just quickly add, I mean, Deuce this season and maybe we just didn't see it the past few seasons, but you know, this is a season where you can tell he's taken his hits and he's, would we say at the, for the KU game, he was a hundred percent. I don't think so only because on that 80 yard, you know, screen pass, he, he didn't look like he has the speed that we've seen from Deuce Vaughn in the past. And I think it's just indicative of how long this season has been, how much, how much of an integral part he takes in this offense and, you know, what, how he takes his talent on the field, every single play. He's truly been a great ambassador for this program um, as somebody who came in and a lot of people are looking down on him and that's not, making a joke, but that's, you know, that's the nature of the game when you compare him to other running backs and he's outclassing guys who are, you know, six inches taller than him. It's, it's been really great to see him play. I would love to see him come back. I think all of us would agree Um, to see him with Will next season would be amazing, but I understand that if you can make that money, you probably should take advantage of it. And unless your name is Darren Sproles or Frank Gore, really traditionally running backs have had a pretty short career in the NFL. So if you can get that money and get it now, go for it and and have as long of a career in the NFL as you possibly can. So so credit to Deuce for for everything he's done for this program. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the future holds. But we got two more games left this season. So hopefully we can soak up the last two games that that we'll have of Deuce here on the gridiron wearing purple. Um, so that'll kind of round it out for running back room. And then quickly we'll touch on wide receivers and tight ends. So I think really the story of the game was Malik Knowles and those jet sweeps and getting two touchdowns. Uh, that was a huge, huge, um, you know, bonus and in, in kind of kicking off the game because correct me if I'm wrong. I think that jet sweep play is where we scored our first, first touchdown. If not our, our second touchdown, I don't recall exactly. It was so our, don't hold me to that. It was our first. We scored yes. twice on jet sweeps and uh, I think it was the first and the third touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And in yeah. almost identical looking plays and, and it was beautifully drawn up, but Malik Knowles had those two touchdowns on the jet sweeps. Will Howard found Sammy Wheeler in the end zone for a touchdown Philip Brooks took one to the house as well. It wasn't a hundred plus yard day for Malik, although it was on the return side of the aisle. So we'll get to that momentarily, but it was clear that he was a reliable guy that we, we brought up that jet sweep. I feel like Colin Klein kind of picked it up and dusted it off. I I don't know that we've seen that uh, as much as we maybe would have hoped to see after that first game against South Dakota. And we saw it on the first play scoring on the first drive in a similar fashion, Granted, much longer run than, uh, you know, starting off in the red zone. But how much, you know, given how we kind of distributed the ball a little bit and some of the guys that were catching touchdowns on the on the receiving end of it, how much more of the playbook do you all think that we will see heading into uh, Arlington next week, knowing that we have dusted off some things that maybe we haven't used as much so far this season? 
I mean, at this point, I think you have to throw all your cards on the table um, and you have to call a perfect game. Uh, not to say that, T- I mean, TCU is a great team. And if you want to win a championship, you're going to have to throw everything out out there. And if it means, you know, there are certain pages in the playbook that haven't been touched yet and the right opportunity comes around, this is it. This is the chance. Um, you're not saving anything for a bowl game at this point. That's, that's my opinion. Um, so it, just taking advantage of absolutely anything um, and, you know, doing what they need to do from a play to play basis to get the great, great, get a great matchup against TCU and, and go from there. I'm trying to think of what, what we were successful with in TCU that first half when Will Howard came into the game. I mean, Cade, that was the start of, Cade Warner being the absolute weapon from that that middle section of the season, you know he was he was lights out. He had a touchdown in Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State. I'm trying to think in uh, Tulane, but I mean Cade Warner was successful on a deep deep pass. Uh, who else? I mean I don't really remember what else we were successful with versus TCU. I think Deuce had a Who's had a score in that game on a wheel route, I think maybe. But, you know, like you said, having no limitations on the offense, you know, you got to bring out everything. And ever since before this game, the last jet sweep Malik Knowles had really got was the touchdown in South Dakota that I can remember. I mean, maybe he had a couple more and they've all been reasonably successful. You know, having a weapon like Malik Knowles when you can't get him the ball through the air, he is invaluable when he has the ball in his hand. He is he's too good to not give him the ball. So getting Malik Knowles touches. Ben Sennett didn't have a huge game, but you know that leave that leaves Sammy Wheeler wide open for a touchdown because you know they're and that's two straight games where Sammy Wheeler is wide open because they're giving so much attention to Ben Sennett on these double tight end routes that we're running. You know, everything has to be, all the cards have to be on the table. And I'm excited because I think Colin Klein's in his bag, but you know, one of the hottest teams defensively right now is TCU, especially what they did to Iowa state. I mean, multiple pick sixes. So they're hot. We're hot. It's going to be a good game. Last but not least, I do uh, real quick want to touch on one thing with the defense, and, and it's that next man up thing. We we saw it this past week with B.J. Payne and Drake Cheatham. Those were the two guys that led the day in tackles with 10 and 8. Um, uh, Drake Cheatham with 10 and, and B.J. Payne with 8. Um, so I, I just love that we keep continuing to see this cycle of, of these guys stepping up, making sure to fill the void when there are guys who are injured in, in a room that that has been pretty ravaged with injury throughout the season. So I, I've loved to see the defensive backs really step up there. Uh, anything that y'all want to mention on defense? I know we talked a little bit about defense before we went into offense, but want to want to throw it to y'all first before we round it out with Malik. No, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, we did what we needed to do to not give up 30 points. Um, I felt KU took advantage of their tight ends really well um, against our 
linebacking core um, and our defensive backs, just they, they have good tight ends. They have good talented players in that area. Um, and it seemed like they were able to extend drives leveraging their tight ends. So, um, you know, that, that was a little bit of a frustration in the game, but I, I do feel like the defense played well, um, you know, to get, to get through a, a tough game. And, you know, I, I would also like to say I thought VJ play VJ Payne played really well um, in his second start of the year. So, uh, you know, to leave the game um, or to leave the game in a pretty healthy state from what it looked like um, is definitely good for our chances this weekend. Um, and, you know, the defense, I, I, I thought did did pretty well. That's a beautiful shout out for VJ Payne because he played an absolute I mean, compared to the games that he's had previously, especially West Virginia in that first half, he was a thousand percent better. And he was he was all over the field. He was bringing the lumber. He was hitting hard. He was good in coverage. You know, their tight ends are are formidable. That Casey kid, he's you look at him and you wouldn't expect much out of him. Uh, he's similar. He's like a six foot three Jackson in my opinion. So he snuck by us a couple times, almost had a touchdown catch. You know, Fairchild, he got behind the defense. He's a big, monstrous tight end, and he's sure-handed. So the middle of our defense looked a little suspect. I don't know if that is – I mean, if you listen to the players in their um, post-game talk or their lead-ups into the game or Chris Kleiman's press conferences – it's all about communication with these, with the safeties on the back end, communicate with the linebackers on what zones, how deep, and all that stuff. And ever since Kobe's been out, ever since Sincere's been out, it's kind of they're just kind of getting into a rhythm of working with each other, communicating better. <clears throat> and I think that second half, they took a step forward, just like we kind of know that they do when Clanderman gets his whiteboard out and gets them all on the same page. It's kind of lights out for the offense in the second half. So I I was proud of the kids. You know, Josh had a better game. He got a clear offensive PI against him, but they didn't call it. He gave up a one-on-one catch versus the grim kid. But other than that, there was really no deep shots. I mean, they just methodically moved the ball and had some luck. You know, they got a little bit of a little bit of luck on a what was the what was the Daniels play where he dropped the ball and then got Purnell got a sack, but it got called back because of a, a face mask and that led to another touchdown for them. So it's just little things like that where we could clean it up and the mistakes could go could bounce our uh their way instead of our way and we'd looked a lot better, but I'm proud of the kids defensively. Absolutely. And to round out the review part of this section. So Malik had a very nice 69 yard kick return and he had a total of 135 yards on four total returns. What are the odds that he cribs one against TCU in Arlington? That was not a rhetorical Uh, question. (laughs) What's the... Odds. I mean, 
I like him. I like him in in dome stadiums. He looks good. Last time we were in a dome stadium was him lighting up LSU. So that was NRG, but I don't remember. Was he even returning kicks versus Stanford? I don't remember. I mean, not that they didn't really kick the ball to us all that much because they didn't score. So he didn't really get the opportunity, but I, I, I'd say it's above 50%. Wow. In my opinion, in my opinion, <laughs> he's due. He's due. He's, one. due. I mean, he's, he's due one that he was so close versus KU right there. And in better conditions, I think he'll get one. I think it's above 50. I think it's 52%. And no, it was uh Philip Brooks last year who was on kick return duty in that, in that game against Stanford. Interesting. I for I, you know, I don't remember a lot of this, the beginning of the Stanford game. Um, and that's not because I'm old. Um, I, you know, I think, uh, I think we have a decent shot. I wouldn't say 50%, but you know, the big, the big thing that we just have to, to think about from the kick game is we have to obviously make it past the 25 at, at, we have to win the field position battle and the kick returns and the part returns are a huge key with that. Um, and so if Malik can get some space and get us to the 35, the 40 at a minimum, that's, that's huge. And so um, I, I'm not going to give it 50%. I, I love chef's optimism all the time. I love it. Um, I would love to see him. I, I think he's due though. I, I, you know, based off the seasons he's had in the past, he should be returning one um, back. So maybe he's been saving it the best for last. I also think he's due. I would love to see him bookend the season. Granted, we've got the bowl game too, but bookend the season with uh, with returns for touchdown, knowing that he did he did the first one was against Bazoo, right? So maybe I'm wrong. It's not bookending the season, but you know, more or less starting the season with uh, with a kick return for a touchdown and hopefully ending one as well. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the energy in the stadium when? A kick return or a punt return for a touchdown is just, I mean, that is straight meth. It's just straight crack rock. You just, it just sends you to the moon. What if he opens the game? What if he opens the game with a kick return for a touchdown? What, what game this happened in the past couple of years, this has happened once, right? It might've been against some scrub team, but, um, I swear we've had that happen recently. Now, I the one that I will always remember is one that happened against us, which was the Fiesta Bowl one uh, with D'Anthony Thomas, and that like no, killed me. No, 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 no. We're not. We're not going there. We're not going there right now. I think. I think Morgan Burns had one. I think yes. I think it was Morgan Burns to, to open the season. Uh, damn, I don't remember who we were playing, but it wasn't Nichols. No, that was. That was Kleiman's first game, but Morgan Burns definitely did it, and it was yeah. it was dirty. Well, we'll we'll get to talking ball later, but but I do have just a quick lead-in topic, and it's it's focused primarily on defense because I know we didn't talk as much about them, but I know I've mentioned it a few times. But going back to last year's 2021 TCU game, the Cats have won 12 straight games when they've scored 30 or more points in a game. Um, we have not lost a game where we scored 30 or more points since I think it was against 
I, I forget exactly who it was against last year, but we haven't lost since then. And since that TCU game, we've, we've started this streak. So that's usually all the buffer that the offense needs um, or that the defense needs from the, you know, being able to protect the offense on uh, scoring wise. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever, what I'm trying to say there, but usually it's all the buffer that we need is really what I'm trying to get to there. And when this defense has given up some points in the first half, this team has been a brick wall in the second half, only having given up an average of 7.73 points in the second half across all 12 games. But in the past five games, it's been an average of three points in the second half that this defense has given up across five games, going back to Oklahoma state, I believe. So what do you have to say about the job that Klanderman has done on the defensive unit in these halftime adjustments that he's been making consistently, but most especially the last even three to five games? Um, you know, you think back to Texas, you think back to West Virginia and, and KU specifically. Those are three games that, that come to mind where a lot of points were scored in the first half because, again, Baylor and, and Oklahoma State, we, we didn't really need to, to worry about buffering it. Um, so. What do you have to say about Clandy Mann's uh, defensive adjustments that he's been making in the second half? Because that's really been the tail of the tape the last three to I mean, he's doing a great job of looking at the surroundings, right? At, at the end of the day, he's holistically looking at the first half and he's making the right adjustments to what the other team is going to be adjusting for in the second half. This is, I swear, you know, for many years that I've been a K-State fan, one of the biggest struggles, and and I know that I've talked about this with many people before, the halftime adjustments from the coaching staff in the past have left a lot to be desired. And that's not the recent past. That's, you know, Bill Snyder years, thinking about Dana Dimmel on offense and, you know, whoever was our defensive coordinator at the time we wouldn't make halftime adjustments that would keep us or get us back into a game. And it is such a, a relief. It's just a breath of fresh air to be able to see Joe Klanderman really put, put a stamp on this defense as to what he is as a coach. And, um, you know, I know that the, the players love playing for him and, um, you know, obviously we don't get to see what's going on in the locker room at halftime. But it's it's obvious that he's working with his position coaches, he's working with the players and trying to get that feedback and make adjustments on the fly. And he's making the right ones. And so uh, I I saw that he didn't get picked for the Broyles Award, you know, as a finalist this year. But, man, he really has done an incredible job as an assistant this season and getting this defense together, bringing in, you know, transfers yet again, who have fit in well to his style of defense and believed in him. And uh, I don't think there is any negative thing that you can say about what he's been able to do this season um, from a game to game basis, but then in game as well. Oh my God, Joe Klanderman. Let's think about this for a second. We had Scotty Hazleton, who was, I mean, let's be honest, he was loved by the K-State family. He had a defense that was flying around, kind of being nasty. He had the look 
of a defensive coordinator, and then he leaves for Michigan State to get his to get his money to get his bag. Joe Klanderman comes in. He was probably the last guy picked for even that original staff uh, from North Dakota State, and nobody really knew about him. He gets promoted to defensive coordinator, and the nuts on this guy, the set of balls on this guy to totally scrap the defense. No more four down front. That is like Kansas State is a four down front team. Like everybody knows that. And he scraps that completely. Brings it his first year as a defensive coordinator. He brings in a totally new defense. And last year, we had a we had a salty defense, but I mean, we were just in base formation the entire but then this year comes along and he does he brings pressure. He does everything. And then we start making – and then he gets into his bag and starts making these halftime adjustments. That is the biggest surprise. I, I was not expecting that from Joe Klanderman this year where he is scripting defenses and making adjustments at halftime to completely shut down teams. That, in all actuality – the defensive performances in the first half versus these teams, you can point back to reasons why. I mean, Sarkeesian had a week to to scout our defense, and he does his thing, and then we make adjustments, and that's completely shut down. West Virginia has a new starting quarterback. We are not sure who's going to start until the last minute, and he brings a, a – a show of offense that we didn't see versus Oklahoma. He starts airing it out. We make adjustments. That shit's done. No more scoring for you. I think they scored one more late touchdown, but oh well. And then Daniels comes in after a week versus Texas, and he didn't look sharp, but we didn't know what quarterback was going to play because we didn't know if it was going to be Bean or if it was going to be Daniels. Daniels comes in, has – an all right first half, but they methodically move the ball. We figure out what they're going to do, and that shit's done. No more of that. And it's just Clarenderman has been on one, and I'm so happy he's here. He needs upgraded, like you said, the Broyles words making a mistake with him and Colin Klein. Let's be honest, the number one, the number one offense in the Big Twelve, and the number one defense in the Big Twelve statistically. I mean, my God, our assistants need paid, and I'm I'm happy they're here, but we got to make sure that we take care of these guys. But Klanderman has been elite. And there's some good comments in the discussion and a, a really good point. You know, with the injuries that we've seen on the defensive side this season, game after game, this coaching staff has made the adjustments and gotten players ready to play, whether even in a different, completely different position. Um, you know, it – it really stems to the fact that the coaching staff has brought in the right players, the right student athletes, and they understand the the team aspect of the game to step in in situations where you have a teammate go down, next man up mentality. They really have done a great job. So I want to give give some people in the discussion uh, room some credit. That's a, a, a really great point. Absolutely. And, and to that point, Let's get those speaker requests up because if anybody has anything that they want to add to this discussion or as we pivot into the TCU game preview, 
before I issue an apology to Sonny Dykes. Go ahead and get those speaker requests up. <clears throat> Cole, I see that you're up here. What's up? What's up, man? It's been it's yeah, been a couple weeks. Yeah. Um just a couple things I wanted to say. Um, good vibes only. One thing on the current conversation you were having, um also just that rotation on the defense, you know, it gets guys ready, it helps guys learn. You know, you can really truly only learn once you're thrown thrown in the fire like that, but it just makes you feel good. Like, obviously, we would all love to have Kobe Savage and Sincere Mason out there, but of times in the past, you know, like especially under Snyder, is when you have one of your starters go down, it's like, oh, well, here comes a third, fourth string walk-on that probably shouldn't be on the field. <clears throat> but now whenever, you know, that happens, you know, you know given that those adjustments, given – the coaching staff knowing what they're doing, giving them a week to prepare and plan to have a game plan to get the best potential out of these guys who do get thrown into the fire. You know, you don't feel, you don't feel like it's over when injuries do happen, I guess. Like, you know, they'll figure it out. Uh, But yeah, it's been a while. I'm glad to be here. Be back. Um, Some positive vibes of tonight. It's kind of a little off track. Uh, some random lady when I was at the grocery store earlier shouted me out for K-State since I was wearing my K-State shirt. She was a grad from K-State. And I took my dog to the vet for this new vet that I've never been to. I had to get her a vaccine and a checkup because I'm taking her to PetSmart, their hotel, for this weekend so I can go up to the game. And the vet noticed my shirt, and he was wearing purple, and he – Talk, started talking about K-State, and he was a grad from K- to K-State's vet program. And he knocked off my uh, examination fee. He saved me like 55 bucks just because I was a graduate of K-State, which was Let's awesome. go. That's that is so- incredible. Dude, it was so cool. And I know you got that lady's number at the grocery store, too, so whatever. I mean, she was a, she was a good-looking mom. You know, that $55 will uh, go a long way at uh, AT&T Stadium. That's like three – tall beers. I was going to say, that's so, like one that's, and a half beers. That, <laughs> hey, I, I, don't, I don't need a lot. I actually sadly have to drive home after the game to then go pick up my dog, but hopefully it's... We've got a couple other folks. Any Anybody want to put a quick bow or, or round out the discussion on the KU re- review or just anything else that you want to mention about this season so far before we pivot into TCU game? If not, that's okay. Hearing hey, man. up, oh, Evan. <laughs> hey, guys. There he is. Stuck. What's up, Don? I'm here. Hey, I just wanted to uh, put it, like you said, put a bow on it. You talked about Klanderman's uh, halftime adjustments. Um, but the offensive halftime adjustments along the offensive line was almost more impressive in some ways. You can tell, obviously, they switched to kind of the power run, just run down their throats with both. Uh, um, Giddens and uh, and Deuce and just their ability to kind of demoralize the KU defensive line was was fun to watch. You know, um, it was something that they they punished them. And the first few drives it was slow, and there was a couple three and outs. But by the end of the game, I mean, it's it's a fun game when you can just kind of run at will down your rival. You know, on your way to a Big Twelve championship. So the adjustment and kind of just the the grit that both the offensive line and and kind of Colin Klein showed was was just impressive. 
I mean, I mean, to your point, I mean, showing the ability to basically put the brakes on because we've seen Colin Klein put the gas on where we're we're stretching the ball down the field. We're going fast. But how many passes did you say we threw in the second half? Maybe four, three. I mean, just to, to get that mindset and have Andrew Line gang extra, extra offensive lineman, Carver Willis extra offensive lineman out there and just play bully ball to bury the team and go out on top is just it's just another peg in Colin Klein's uh coaching acumen to show you how how far he's come and why he deserves to be at the the level he's at. I love it. Evan, wait, you went off mute. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's a it it shows his acumen as a coach, but also just both the conditioning and just the the physicality. They were better. <laughs> I mean, they started to display that just they're bigger. They are, you know, they're not a pretender like KU thinks they are. And so having the ability to come out there and just, you know, run at will with the best running back in the in the league is uh, is a lot of fun to do at home in, in probably his last home game. So his ability to do that and, and kind of just have your way with your in-state rival is uh, is a lot of fun. It's a good way to play football. So hopefully we see that uh, this weekend, and hopefully we see that against uh, Alabama in a few weeks. But uh, I'll let you guys handle that one. <laughs> oh, and we're we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about Bama here uh, in a moment. But yeah, I mean, I I couldn't be more happy with the fact that we were able to round out the season playing our our biggest rival in the conference and, and being able to just gash them for the most part. And knowing that there's still a gap uh, credit to John Kurtz and the three mod guys, Cole Manbeck and, and DY for, for talking a little bit about, you know, KU fans, a lot of this season have said, yeah, the gap is closed or the gap is closing. Sure. It's, it's definitely closing. It's, it's gotten closer, but we still beat them by 20 points. And, and so I, I need to see more from KU in, in that game against us to know that the gap between us and them specifically has been closing. But yeah, I mean, they, they've raised their floor, which is, which is really what Lance Leipold has done, which is, you know, good for them. Love to see it for the conference, but you know, better luck next year. And with that, we're going to move on to, the main event, which is we're, we're playing TCU this weekend for the second time this season. A nice rematch of the 38-28 to 28 game that we saw back in October. But I, at first, I need to issue an apology to Sonny Dykes, and, and hopefully this will get some good vibes going for us. But, you know, the reason I would like to apologize to Sonny Dykes is because I was on the record on Bosco's Boys. I was on the record here in saying that Sonny Dykes is a mid coach at best because coming into playing or coaching at TCU, he had only won 19 games at the power five level as a head coach. It was 19 and 30 at Cal. He had Jared Goff. Congrats. I didn't think he was going to do really jack shit at TCU. And he completely proved me wrong. Granted with Gary Patterson's talent primarily, um, but him and Garrett Riley, that combination, and, and then the dude that they brought in from Tulsa, defensive coordinator, they've been incredibly, incredibly good this season. 12-0 team, could not respect them anymore, I don't think. 
but I do think that they're the team that we wanted the the shot at in the Big 12 championship. We definitely wanted a second chance. And I hope that these players uh, the last few weeks have just been, you know, eager and yearning to try to get that shot to play TCU again, knowing that we had an opportunity in that first matchup and knowing that it was a very close game in the end. But that we led that thing 28 to 10 at a certain point, like they are a beatable team. No one has done that yet, but I do think we have a chance. If anybody in this conference is going to have a chance to beat TCU, it's going to be the team that gave TCU their best shot and had an opportunity to beat them the first time around. Um, that's not to discredit what Baylor did. That's not to discredit some of the other, you know, I think they went to overtime with Oklahoma state, but I think we really, we've got a good shot this weekend to, to pull a win out. I don't know about you guys. That was my little rant. I just had to issue a brief apology to Sonny Dykes, but it, it, it's more or less a backhanded comp. Well, I think we all, I think we all owe uh, Sonny Dykes an apology, but you, I mean, you said it best. I mean, let's not act like he didn't adopt the third most talented team in the big 12. And the only reason that they weren't successful is because Gary Patterson is an old fart that his message ran dry. And if you're not scared of Gary Patterson, then he really wasn't effective as a coach. So Sonny Dykes adopted a good, good starting. Let's see where he goes from here. You know, next season will be fun for what he has to do. Um, and he let's not act like he didn't make the wrong decision at the beginning of the season, making Chandler Morris his starting quarterback, because we all see how Duggan's turned out, but he didn't want him at first. So, so his his credibility is still on the fence right now. So I'm not completely sold on him, but I do owe him an apology because I said they were going to be dog shit and I was wrong. Did you wait? Can you did you say that you thought TCU had the third most talent in the conference this season? Absolutely. Is that what you yeah, said? Absolutely. As far as okay. recruiting rankings and stuff, yeah. though, TCU has really not just even this year, but I, I would say at least probably the last five years has been pretty far and away, like the third most talented team recruiting wise, strictly looking at rankings on three rivals, 24 seven, that type of stuff behind Oklahoma and Texas. And, and when, and when they leave the conference, realistically, it's going to be TCU and Houston if Houston ever gets out of their own way and being the most talented teams because they're in the most richest, dense, populated areas with the best talent in Texas that they can pull from. It'll probably be somewhere between TCU at the top, uh, Houston, Texas Tech, and then maybe Oklahoma State. But, you know, I don't know where their program's going. But that's not the point, Matt. You know, the point is <laughs> – the point is I was wrong about Sonny Dykes for this season, and I want to build up enough good karma because when we stomp a mud hole in them on Saturday, I don't want them feeling too bad that I didn't say enough nice things about them. No, that's fair. I, I mean, I think it's very safe to say that he – He's overachieved with this group, 
because nobody would have expected this team to go 12 and 0 in conference. And that says something about him as a coach, the staff he's put together and the players that he's brought in to assimilate with the players that, you know, were on the team uh, prior to him coming in. I, it's hard for me to look at this TCU team and think they are world beaters, even though they're 12 and L. Um, I do believe they are well, you know, they have, they put themselves in the positions to win games this season and they didn't have to dominate. I, I look at other teams that, you know, who are 12 and 0 this year, I think of Michigan, I think of Georgia and everybody thinks that TCU would get their ass handed to them if they play Georgia or Michigan. And I look at it and I guess I'll go with the Sonny Dykes thing. TCU finds ways to win games against their competition, whether the competition is four and eight, or I also think 12 and oh, I, I would love to see TCU. Number one, I know, I know we're going to win this weekend. I feel really good about it. And, you know, that's a receipt that somebody will be able to pull on me, um, you know, on Sunday or something. But I hope that TCU win or lose makes the playoff because from a big 12 perspective, the conference is looked down upon, even though we have TCU as the strongest strength of schedule out of all the teams that are proposed to make the playoff. I hope that we can see this TCU team against a Georgia, against a Michigan, to really see if the talent gap that the media is saying between TCU and these other teams is actually there or not. And if there was going to be a year where that's going to happen, where Big 12 team is is going to have a good shot, I think it's this year because Georgia's had some ugly wins too. Michigan's had some some wins and against some pretty what we would deem weak opponents in in the big in the Big Ten. But you bring up a great point, and it's something that I was talking about last week with with my family over Thanksgiving. When when the Giants were undefeated in the NFL and TCU was undefeated in college football in the Big Twelve, I kind of compared those two teams as similar teams because they kind of won ugly. They won these eager, squeaker, you know, super close wins. They didn't really look like world beaters, but what they're doing there still is winning at the end of the day. That's that can't be said for even K-State in, you know, the game against Tulane in the game against Texas. It can't be said for Texas in the game against Oklahoma State in the game against TCU in the game against Alabama. It can't be said for a lot of these teams that that they've been able to get those close wins and that they've been able to get those one score victories. So credit where it's due with TCU. And and I agree wholeheartedly, Matt. I hope that if we win, that they are still in the playoff and that they can give a Georgia or a Michigan their best shot and have an opportunity to hopefully win a game against some of those other teams that have had to squeak out some close victories. And I want to ask that basically to everybody in who's participated in the live chat or the, the live talk right now. Is 
K-State playing, spoiler, the worst thing that could happen to the Big 12 this season in the Big 12 championship game? Or do you realistically think that, I mean, it all kind of depends on the scenarios, but do you think that TCU would still have a chance at the playoff if they were to lose to K-State? And if they don't, is that the worst thing that K-State could do to the Big 12 um, by pulling – pulling the upset and becoming big 12 champions. I think if the game is close at the end, if it's a less than one score game and they lose, I still think they make it. Um, if it's a 2003 scenario and we just rail on them the whole game, then it's, I think could be a completely different story. And my opinion is it's K state. And it's not about anybody else. I mean, I I want K-State to win a Big 12 championship. And if they have to beat TCU by 42 points and that ruins TCU's chance to make the playoff, I'm sorry for the Big 12. But at the end of the day, we're holding a trophy. We get to say we're Big 12 champs. I agree. I agree with that. Cole, what, what do you think, buddy? Oh, no. It, it's uh, cats or it's cats all the way. I don't, I don't care if the Big 12 does again in the college football playoff. We can cost the Big 12 millions of dollars as a whole, and I still won't. I don't care. Like We're here to get a Big 12 championship. That's been the team's goal ever since last offseason. Like, that's what they're here to do, and that's what I want to do. I also think it depends on how competitive it is. Like what Matt said, because I think the Big 12 championship is the only matchup where two top 10 teams are facing each other. That's yeah, true. That's a, that's a good point. That's a, that's a very good point because, I mean, if we're talking the playoff, I mean, I I hate – I don't like any – I don't like the format that we're in. I don't really care for the extended playoff. I don't really care for none of that. I miss the old way it was. Um, but if we're going to talk playoffs, I mean, Ohio State sitting at home with one loss waiting. Alabama's sitting there with two loss waiting and USC is in the, I think four spot. I, I didn't get to look at the rankings. I just saw that yeah. we were 10 USC is fourth. Is Alabama six. Uh, let me double check that real quick. I think they're six, but if USC is four and they play, I mean, they play a, a doozy, I guess that's a, a the pac 12. It's so funny that the, the narrative is that the Big Ten and the SEC are the giants of college football, and yet their conference championship games are absolute snoozers, Purdue and LSU. But USC has to play, uh, not Oregon, but Washington. Utah, right? Washington. Utah, Utah, you're right. Utah in a, a crazy rematch, and – it's not – I hate to say this, but, like, if TCU doesn't win or is a one-score one game, I still think – I mean, if it's – like, whatever. If they if they don't win or if, you know, they, they lose big or whatever the scenario is, they're going to be looked down upon because they think TCU is the lesser of those blue blood teams with – I mean, you're surrounded. I mean, just the teams that are up there. Al, uh, Alabama, Ohio State, USC, 
Michigan and freaking Georgia. God damn. And TCU just looks like the redheaded freaking stepsister at the family reunion in that picture of all those teams. And it's just not fair to them that they're going to have to lose this weekend. I just can't wait for all the chaos to occur and somehow Alabama sneaks through the back door and makes the college football playoff because that would be absurd. Absolutely absurd. If they did. Evan, do you think it's, do you think case K state is hurting the big 12 if they uh, pull off the upside? I mean, yeah, if you look at it holistically, sure. Um, Best case scenario though, if you're a K state fan is you have a, you know, a 49-48 shootout with, you know, Will Howard and, and Duggan just putting on displays on, you know, on the turf out there. K-State squeaks one out, and people want to see more, you know, TCU. So put them in the playoff, go and go and whoop Georgia, who, you know, I mean, it's Georgia, but they struggled. Uh, you know, look at a team like Missouri going into Columbia, and they struggle against Missouri, a team we beat the brakes off of. So I think the names are there, right, for the playoffs. And I mean, it's just kind of the the way the cookie crumbles anymore. The Big 12 just doesn't have those names as much as we want to pretend that we will. You know, there's not a Texas. There's not an OU. You're going to have to play a better schedule, win more games and look more impressive than, you know, these these blue bloods. Because looking at strength of schedule, I think TCU has a, a top 10, you know, um, strength of schedule compared to schools like Georgia and Michigan, you know, that are are playing PUD teams late in the season, you know, one of the benefits of the Big 12 is, you know, it's it's a murderer's row. Every week you're you're playing for your life, really. Because as we're kind of here at the end, you've got an undefeated TCU that we're talking about might have one loss in a conference championship and might not make the college football playoff. If that was any other team, you know, it would be a lock for it. So yeah. it's it's the unfortunate reality of the Big 12 today and being a you know a a a smaller school. My series trying to talk to me. Um, being a smaller school in this setup, but uh, it's just it's kind of the way it hit. You have to play it. Number one strength of record for TCU. I mean, no other team. If you look at, I think I can't remember who put that out, but like that, there's like no other team that would make the twelve and zero mark like TCU did with their their schedule, and it's just not fair to them how how it's all laying out but i think if i had to lay out the best case scenario because evan the way you just phrased it made me think of what the best case scenario for the big 12 k-state tcu and all that is usc gets absolutely smoked by utah and caleb williams has like a three three pick game no touchdowns absolute shit show loses his heisman dug in has a like you said a forty nine to forty eight absolute shootout and he plays a perfect game but just falls short because K State wins the game forty nine he has like four touchdowns no interceptions all these yards and stuff gets invited to New York for maybe a Heisman because let's be real C J Stroud kind of shit the bed if Caleb Williams shits the bed. Uh, Maybe Bijan gets invited. I don't know, but they they have a shitty record. But maybe Duggan gets invited, and they still make the playoffs. We win the Big 12 title and still go to the Sugar Bowl and all that noise. I think that would be the best-case scenario for everybody involved. 
Yeah, I think it was Reese Davis that put out the the stats on TCU strength of schedule the other day, and they've got a better strength of schedule than any of the others that are in that top four. Uh, it's four four spots better than Michigan, twelve better than Georgia, twenty two better than USC. I think honestly, what I hope this kind of goes to is the Big Twelve. Every single team is forced to play a Power Five non conference opponent at least once. They played CU. I forget who they they played CU Colorado. They played SMU, who's generally pretty good. Um, who else did they play this year that bolstered that strength of schedule for them? Because, you know, the big 12, you're, you're playing better non-conference opponents. You're not doing that sec bullshit where at, you know, two weeks into November, you're playing UAB or something when, you know, you're, you should be playing for a conference championship. So, so the big 12 to Evan's point, it is a gauntlet. It's a murderer's row. I hope this helps bolster the argument for that and doesn't detract from it at the end of the day. Well, the, the, so their third non-conference game was Tarleton State. Ew. So that wouldn't have boosted. They Not really great. bolstered Not it great. with that one. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is, uh, just thinking about TCU and you mentioned Colorado, I that first half of the Colorado game, I don't know if anybody watched it, but it was kind of a Pac-12 after dark scenario. I remember that game being on late. And there was like a weather delay or something. Anyway, they look like absolute crap. In that first half, and then they turn it around. But I, I know all you of us. You know why, like, okay, though, TCU. right? You know why? Yeah, because uh, yeah, Morris we know gets why. Hurt. Morris gets <laughs> yeah. hurt, and then Duggan comes in. And I know. Let yet again. This is why Sonny Dykes. I mean, he made the bet, wrong decision, and if it wasn't for Morris getting hurt, who knows where their season's at? Who knows? Sonny Dykes, born on third base, thinks he hit a triple. Uh, with the talent and everything and, and making the wrong decision with Chandler Morris. We, we'll never let him live it down. But uh, talking a little bit more about the game itself, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about offensive difference makers. Let's talk a little bit about defensive difference makers. I mean, we've, we've already done a TCU preview earlier this season, so I don't want to get too in the weeds with it, but I maybe want to hone in on a couple specific guys. We know who they are. It's Quentin Johnston. The dude is a freak. It's Tay Barber. It's Kendra Miller. It's Amari DiMercato. Like, it, we'll get to this in a little bit, but when we talk about things that we're most concerned about for the TCU game, I know for me, it's their running game and it's going to be Quentin Johnston. If we can contain Quentin Johnston similar to what we did in the previous game, and even then, we it, that was just holding him to under 100 yards because that dude is, I, I feel like, damn near over 100 yards pretty much every game, it feels like. But he's that he's got that deep play guy. He's the guy that they're going to be throwing it to on third and 15 to try to get a big play and, and then scores a touchdown. So let's talk a little bit about offense. What are some of the things that scare you the most or, or that you want to, you know, maybe get into more detail with offensively for the preview side of it? Are you talking TCU's offense or our TCU? Offense? TCU. OK, well, you know, let's be let, let's let's be honest. Before Julius Brintz hurt his hamstring, and he hurt it on the touchdown pass uh, to Quentin Johnston, if he doesn't hurt his hamstring, he absolutely blanketed Quentin Johnston. He shut his ass down. And then they were talking shit the entire game, going back and forth, and he hurts his hamstring. Quentin Johnston gets behind them, uh, him and Josh Hayes, 
and scores a touchdown and starts barking back at Julius Brents and we don't see Julius Brents anymore and they kind of keep their momentum going. But the real guy that killed us, because I think if Julius Brents is healthy, Quentin Johnson's a non-factor. The Kendra Miller is an absolute break tackle machine. And it kills me because we had so many opportunities. And God, this is another thing that we're going to keep talking about. Daniel Green not playing, basically not playing in that game. And having to have Nick Allen, who really had only spot duty and was a special teamer, come in and try to handle maybe the best, second best, third best running back in the Big 12. Some would say the first best, if you look at statistics. Uh, he he absolutely ate our linebacking core apart and just te- tore them apart and ate them up. And uh, was it hit? Was it his play that he caught the screen on the third and 14, which really switched the momentum? I think it was him. But, you know, he is he gets them going that running game, that physical O-line. But if he's breaking tackles, which I think if Daniel Green's in there, it's not happening as much. And Josh Hayes, he went out in that game. So I think the matchups for our defense will be better with a healthier defense. I know we're minus Kobe, uh, Kobe and we're minus sincere, but I think – some of the playmakers up front, like Daniel Green not being there versus Kendra Miller is really the key that happened in that first game that got them going. So I I suspect if we get Kendra Miller to the ground on the first tackle, we'll be fine. And I think there's also something to be said for the fact that we've, because the next man up thing, we've got more depth with quality snaps now than we had in the previous matchup. So if the injury bug for whatever reason, God forbid does hit, We've got more guys who have those quality snaps and that experience behind the first string. And hopefully through those rotations, we've we've got some good quality snap experience that will help just in case something does happen. But God, I think the biggest thing I'm concerned about is from a defensive perspective for TCU in the past five games, they have not given up more than 30 points. And we have scored a good amount of points and, you know, a good handful of our games um, recently. We are going to have to come up with a way to get by their defense and not score field goals. We have to score touchdowns and we have to get to the 30 point marker. I think 30 points is going to be the key for us Um, knowing how our defense has played this season and knowing what our offense has been able to do. If we get some consistent three and outs from our offense, it, it isn't necessarily going to be, uh, I think a successful day. Um, You know, and TCU this season has given up the the 40 points is the most that they've given up this season. Um, So do we want this to be a shootout or do we want this to be a defensive battle? Um, I, I think that's a good question to ask the group if we had to pick, but um, I'm concerned about their defense. I mean, they have had, you know, really good performances 
against really good teams in the Big 12. So, uh, you know, that's my biggest concern going into this game. How are we going to get by their defense? So let's open it up to the room. I mean, either offensively or defensively, TCU-wise, what are some of the things that that you're most scared of and some of the things that you think on the K-State side we're going to have to overcome and and surpass in order to to win the game on Saturday? I don't have a lot to say because I don't feel like I've really, like, watched TCU that closely. I mean, obviously, I just kept seeing them win. Um, But I don't know. I would just say you really got to learn from the first go-around and obviously – and I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like Colin Klein will be able to scheme up something against their defense, um, with, even though they have been playing better. Um, but see, take all you can from the first game so you can learn and just keep doing what you've been doing. You know, don't hesitate. Don't be scared. Open up the playbook and just uh, keep making those adjustments. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this. It's very difficult to beat a team twice in a year, you know. Um, and so you're giving Klanderman and Klein and all these guys basically a second shot at scheming against, you know, the 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 best team in the league. I I guess if you look at coaching staffs, maybe it's a bias here, but I would, I would 100% give the edge to the Cats. I mean, Look at the adjustments made at halftime. And this is basically the ultimate halftime, right? You know, you played one game. Now you're going to go play another one. You've got another week to prep for this. They've probably had coaches or, uh, you know, people on staff looking at TCU ever since that game, right? Prepping for this game. And I think there's an advantage there for guys like Kleiman and, uh, or for guys like Klanderman and Klein. And, you know, I'm really excited to see what adjustments are going to be made for this game, especially going into it, knowing you've got Will Howard, knowing you've basically got your full complement on offense and and seeing what happens. I could see a lot of points going up in this game, being on the turf, you know, being in the dome. Like it's it's going to be nice there in the dome and everything like this. I could just see a see this being a, a high scoring game for. for and before Robert, I, 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 I don't want to cut Robert off, but what Evan just said, if you listen to what Coach Kleinman said today, uh, and, you know, he does a lot of coach speak, so you can't really take everything that he says um, as truth. But he does – when he does tell the truth, it's kind of so fucking obvious what he's talking about. And it was – somebody asked him about – um preparing for the big 12 championship and looking ahead or whatever before the Kansas game. And he said, obviously they were looking at the Kansas game, but after the West Virginia game, he basically just said that he admitted that once he found out who uh, was in the, the championship game. And obviously it's TCU. That was dumb for him to say that. But after the West Virginia game, they started uh, devoting practice time to TCU on the fact that they thought they were going to win versus Kansas and would be in the Big 12 championship game. So they've been scheming already for TCU and preparing for this Big 12 championship game, which I I love for him to say that and be honest about that. Like, let us know that you're preparing for this game. Be big time about it. I like that. Not not much to add, but I just – I didn't realize that, and I think that's just fucking awesome. 
I was going to say, if it, whether it becomes a shootout or a defensive game, my confidence would still be pretty high in the Cats because this is pretty much their uh, best offense since about 2014. And the defense, it's the fewest points they've given up in over 10-plus years, and it's the most interceptions they've had in about eight years, too. Either way, it's just it looks good for the Cats, but defensively against TCU, I've seen some of their games and some guys I remember to watch for is uh, Johnny Hodges. He has about 80 tackles on the year. Uh, They got Jamoy Hodge, too. He's got uh, eight tackles for a loss. And then they got a guy, D. Winters, 10 and a half tackles for a loss and uh, six and a half sacks. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, they've got some playmakers. But, Bob, can I ask the question that I was just thinking about? Because, you know, I'd be snooping on these cats and I and I hear things. And when Coach Kleiman talks, when he's not coach speaking, he he says some wild stuff. And I want to get everybody's opinion on this. Fire away. So it was brought up by Derek Young of K-State Online that the timetable for Adrian Martinez to be back was for probably around this, this game, the Big 12 championship time. And he said that he hasn't practiced yet, but they are projecting him to be available. And that is still Will Howard's team, but there's probably some packages available for Adrian Martinez. How do we feel about taking Will Howard off the field for Adrian Martinez to come in and basically be a Wildcat quarterback? And maybe maybe I'll ante it up here. What if we see something similar to, to what KU schemed up where they have both Bean and Daniels on the field at the same time? I, I feel like it'll be kind of more so of what KU did because I think if Martinez is in the game, it's too obvious that we would run the ball. And also something to think about, Kleinman could be like Klein and Kleinman could be saying this to uh, kind of make TCU double think on what to do. And when you have too many things to focus on, it makes it hard to come up with a really good defensive plan. Mm, you damn, guys are buddy. doing nothing but just, just increasing my hope <laughs> and, and, and elevating my zeal and confidence I have about this game. And I'm here for it. I love it. You know, there were we had a couple plays this weekend where we were running. I the so option plays were we we had we used more of the option with Adrian right, and there were some opportunities this weekend where Will ran the option, and I, there was one play in particular that. I think he would have scored a touchdown. We were in the red zone. I'm pretty sure it was on the drive that we ended up kicking the field goal. Um, but he gave it to Deuce instead of taking it himself. And he would have walked in the end zone. I think the option game is something that we we miss a little bit. And I say miss as in it, it's something that we just haven't seen. You know, we typically see in a K-State offense – 
But with Will in there, it is more of a, a kind of a, uh, you know, we will leverage the pistol. Um, you know, we'll do some more stuff out of the shotgun. And Adrian brings that. And so if we have some type of package inside the 10-yard line where we can leverage Adrian's speed and agility in an option scenario to get a defense off guard, I'm all for it. If he's 100% healthy, can't be trotting him out there if he's not 100% healthy. Um, Because at the end of the day, I would rather have Will Howard, who may be a little bit less agile, commanding the offense and not an 80% healthy Adrian inside the 10 yard. I'll just say this one thing, you know, being in Buckeye country, the CJ Stroud runs uh, Ohio state's offense. And it's it's beautiful to see. And when they have their running game going and they have whoever's at running back there, they're uber talented at running back. And the number one thing that people wanted to see was CJ Stroud actually just pull a ball one time and he could just run forever. And it's basically the, basically the same thing with Will Howard. If Will Howard pulls the ball from Deuce Vaughn one time, it, it's, it's going to be a walk-in like Matt just said. It, there's no reason why we can't run the option with Will Howard and – to Robert's point, I think it might be a little too obvious if we don't put both of them out there because Adrian Martinez is obviously known as a runner. Um, he does have an arm. He does have the ability to throw. But coming back and only having packages for him would make it a little too obvious. I think we should just – I know Will Howard is our last line at a decent quarterback. Um, but if Adrian's healthy enough to play – then he should be Will Howard's backup and we should be able to run the full offense with Will Howard and have him be able to pull the ball and be a red zone threat to run the ball because that is such a killer in the red zone. Like Matt just said, if it's not Adrian, let Will Howard do it because he's more than capable enough to just pull the ball and trot into the end zone. I'll say this. Oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. I I don't like it. (laughs) Don't play him. There's no way that Adrian Martinez was 100% after being in street clothes last week for senior night. Um, Even if it's within the 10-yard line, you keep Will in there because his ability to throw those balls into pockets and corners that we haven't seen a K-State quarterback do in, you know, maybe a decade – it's it's a it's an asset of the game that you lose with Martinez. Even if he is better on the ground, you're losing a dimension of the game with him in the game. And I mean, just the fact that you want to keep Will's flow. You know, if he drives you down there to the ten, you don't you don't yank your quarterback and and put in you know um, someone else. So I don't I don't like it unless it's a break class, glass in case of emergency type of thing. If Will Gower gets hurt you know, uh, or he's out for, for a series or something like this, then go for it. But I don't, I don't like it. Don't do it. I think another thing to consider too, is if we do put some packages with Martinez and we all talk about how obvious the run would be, 
but what about they try to take a deep shot downfield because you see Martinez in and you're like, man, this is definitely going to be a run, but is Martinez going to be like, he's probably, he's more than likely going to be well coached enough to know if it's not there, then just throw it away or make like run with it, you know, but not to turn the ball. Over. I'd love to believe that, but you know, until we see it. And like Evan said, if he's not healthy enough, then there's no reason to do it. And it could just be what Robert was saying, where if Klein's just Klein is just doing this just to get uh, their their defensive coordinator thinking about something else, just to add to it. But you know, whether it's true or it's not true, I just want a, a nice, well balanced attack versus TCU, and I think we'll get it done, boys. I, champions. I agree. That's that's what I hope for, and I think that's a, that's a perfect segue into predictions. So this can be score predictions and any other predictions you have for the game. So I will go ahead and kick it off, and I'm going to get the bad vibes rolling strictly because I'm three for three on the reverse jinx. So I'm taking the frogs, 45-42. Someone please help me. Sure. 31-30 cats. Uh, Ty Zentner gets us a last-second field goal, and we'll be partying on Saturday in Arlington. Not me. I can't make it, unfortunately. But uh, 31-30 cats. Let's do it. I'm going to go with 37-27 cats. I think we uh, kick a late field goal to go up two possessions and the frogs just don't have enough to get into it. Get back. We become big 12 champions. I still think, uh, I think, I don't know if that'd be good enough to get TCU into the playoff. And we, we just, it's very reminiscent of 1998. I got a 38, 31 cats. And I think it'll be kind of like what we've seen the past couple of weeks a uh, high-scoring game through the first half, and then a well-fought-out defensive half. Thirty-five to seven, cats, baby. We're gonna curb stomp their teeth in. Two thousand three. Awesome. Hypnotoad, no more. I would, I would die. Of all the fireball I would have to drink if it was thirty-five to seven. I wouldn't even make the wedding I'm supposed to go to on Saturday night. Man, 50 Cents Into Club was the the top song in 2003. Are we going to be playing 2003's Into Club after we, after we pull out a, you know, curb stomp at TCU and hold them to seven points? Ashanti, I think so. Ashanti is doing the national anthem, so I'm getting a lot of a lot of those early 2000s, mid 2000s vibes from Ashanti being the the national anthem lady. So, you know, maybe it's all written in stone destiny. Who is Ashanti? Stop it. Uh Uh-oh. We're, yo, we're aging ourselves. (laughs) We're aging ourselves. Shoot. Before we go into a rabbit hole, Evan, hit us with your prediction. Oh, man. Um, I'd hate to bring the vibe down here, but I was going to go 42... 38. Uh, I think it's going to be high scoring, but I think TCU is going to pull it out. I just, they the way they were cooking against uh, Iowa State was uh, was impressive, and they've got a hell of a lot more to play for 
I don't think the Cats will come in down or anything like this, but they, they've got a you know spot in the playoff on the line. I think that uh, Max Duggan's going to make that argument for the Heisman. Let's not pretend like Iowa State's not the last te- place team in the in the conference, and they had two pick sixes. So that sixty two really is what fourteen minus sixty two. What forty eight? Uh, you know true. that's true. That's that's a average K State score. So you know they're not cooking as much as you would think, and it, it is Iowa State. The last game of the season, they're ready to tap out on Matt Campbell. That is true. And Since as much as I future like Cincinnati, future Cincinnati Bearcat Matt Campbell, by the way, Chef, what's your favorite Ashanti song? Uh, her and Jaw Rule. Um, oh yes, always on time. Uh, yeah, always on time. Yeah. I was thinking uh Say fat, you're the one. Ooh, which I was one? thinking uh what's love, Fat Joe. Ooh, I like that. Did she do um <laughs> no that was uh Oh maybe it is. Hold on. God, Ashanti looks good though, man. She is just out of control. <laughs> is that you also looking at her Spotify header at the same time that I <laughs> So she's doing the national anthem? It, is that yeah? No yeah. kidding. I, I was listening to the yeah. game. Yeah, I was listening to the game earlier, and they were taking bets on uh, how long they thought it would be. Uh, so we're saying we got to do some type of prop bet now. I mean, we could. She has a song called "Foolish and Unfoolish," which is hilarious to me. <laughs> In the top five most played. <laughs> Which one is it? You got to pick which one it is, Ashanti. Um, but you know what? What isn't foolish is our locks from last week. Well, at least my locks from last week. I, I had a nice, you know, get right week uh, for Bob's locks. Last week I was four for six. The only misses that I have were the Egg Bowl. I took old Miss. That was very bad decision. Weird shit happens in the Egg Bowl every year. And Iowa State at TCU, uh, the under... I took that, you know, using some stats and some data and a, a lot of that. And uh, that missed because TCU beat that on their own. So the ones that I hit on, Baylor at Texas, I took over 55 and a half. Tulane at Cincinnati, Tulane plus two and a half, that hit. OU at Tech, I took Tech plus two and a half, and they won in overtime, which was an incredible game. And then Sunflower Showdown, I took K-State on a minus two and a half alternate spread, although – you know, I could have I could have given myself a few more points there and, and still would have hit with the, the original line of, I think, 13 and a half or 12 and a half, which is what I originally saw for that. But for this week, here's what I've got. And I'll go conference by conference, the championships games for each of these. I didn't do the ACC, so I'm leaving out. I didn't do the Big Ten either because I'm not touching that at all. Um, but I've got conference USA. I'm taking UTSA minus eight and a half against Seth Luttrell's North Texas mean green. I've got PAC 12 Utah taking, they're going to win two. They're going to win two against USC. I'm taking them plus two and a half against USC in the PAC 12 championship. Contrary to my actual score prediction, I'm taking the cats plus two and a half versus TCU. I would go with the money line for the odds because I just feel pretty generally pretty good about K-State's odds this weekend. But, you know, 
my, my score prediction on the show. I've got to give the reverse jinx one, of course. And then AAC, I've got Tulane minus three and a half versus UCF. The, the roll wave, they're going to they're gonna do great. They're going to crush UCF. I feel very confident in their ability to do that. And then SEC, I think Georgia's very much going to win, but I'm taking LSU plus 17 and a half because that's just an absurd amount of points in a conference championship game in arguably the best conference in college football. So those are my locks. Chef's any, Chef, any commentary? Anybody else any commentary before we throw it over to Fireball Matt for his locks? I will say the- all those sound – I mean, you didn't even touch like half the like really big game, so I'm going to say that was a cop-out by you. But, you know, the LSU, there's a chance that Daniels doesn't play for LSU, so – Georgia might just shut them out. So that one I'm a little uh, nervous for you. Uh, I don't think LSU will score if Daniels doesn't play. So they can't cover if they do that. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I did not think about Jay, uh, Daniels because he did get hurt at the end of that game, right? He sure did. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that either. I was too busy f- – freezing my ass off in the rainy cold was it that cold Um, of a rain it looked nice no you know you know i i dressed up for this one which was smart because the missouri game i did not and i was miserable at that um this one wasn't as as bad as I. you put your best blazer on oh i had a you know i was wearing (laughs) this like i was wearing this old k-state i got this from like my grandfather like a sweat sweater that was a good like rain jacket and it looked great i looked great at the game you always look Um, great buddy oh thank you i'm blushing um yeah matt's fireball matt's locks i sucked last week i went one and four i did tell you all about tcu was gonna kick iowa state's ass and they did but i lost Ole miss i lost washington state in the apple cup and baylor couldn't play a fourth quarter to save their life um, this week I did have LSU plus 17 and a half, but we'll see. Um, you know, Georgia hasn't looked great the past couple weeks. Um, not to say they're not an, an excellent team, but you know, that is something to monitor. Do they play down to their competition a little bit? It was against Kentucky and Georgia tech. Um, I do too, think Tulane minus three and a half. I hope they beat UCF. Um, that would obviously be great for Tulane um, and just shows how competitive they are. Um, I'm, I'm thinking UNC seven and a half plus seven and a half versus Clemson. And then a basketball lock. Our cats are on the road at Butler tomorrow. Chef will be in attendance. And if I don't see on TV, I'll be disappointed. Cats are plus one and a half at Butler tomorrow. That's and, easy. Uh, I do think. I do think we will win on the road in Hinkle Fieldhouse tomorrow. Oh, this is random, not basketball related, but speaking of being on TV, I'm going to go to college game day Saturday morning. Bring your or wherever that's bring your at. best sign. You got to nice. do Oh, I mean guys, I need I need some ideas. Do a Paul Feinbaum some... sign, please for the love of God. Oh, that is a great idea. Okay, I can I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll, I'll figure. You need to like, like put like you know how Pi- Paul Feinbaum has those goofy ass glasses. You need to put like all like black out his glasses and say something like he 
he's not watching because he can't see or something. Just something ignorant like that. But I will say, you'll see me on TV, Matt, because I will, I'm going to sneak down to the court and I'm going to steal their little stupid bulldog and I'm going to run off with them uh, like during a media timeout. Or oh, okay. That little, dog, that little bulldog's adorable. We will not shame any school that has a bulldog mascot. Bulldog I'm is not shaming them. I want to steal him and just take, run off with him. Take I, him I, home. Debate, do I do I put do, him in do purple? I wear the power. Do I wear power cat pants? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. That's all. Why I is that even know. a question? Yeah, I'm wear my power cat power pants. pants. Yes, yeah, so do that and sneak down to the court and instead of stealing the bulldog, steal an elevate shirt with the power cat on it from Tang and the gang. I'll steal I, their cocaine willy shirts that they have. Oh yeah. Oh, if you could get if you could get a large Those polos me, are so fire. And same, I, I mean same right here. I would take a bulldog as our mascot, like, you know, uh, like isn't Scott Wildcat big on we want to get like a dog like Boston yeah he dog. wants a black lab. yeah I know he wants a black lab but what about Bosco the Bulldog I mean it doesn't make any sense for K-State but it would be kind of adorable right I mean I, I have Labrador Retrievers at home I was going to so say a a black labs Labrador fans yeah black labs are pretty adorable too you know I I would I would be all in favor for a black lab for our school mascot. I mean, I always liked the name Aggies. I thought that was really cool. I mean, no, I hate Texas A&M and they're just so cringy, but the Aggies is such a cool name. I mean, it's just baller. I like Aggies. And with a black lab as our mascot, that'd be pretty sick. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that brings us to guys talking ball. As usual, Chef, what do you want to what do you want to talk this week? I know what you want. To talk, uh, well, let's. I'll let you tee it up. You know, I I think with everything that's going on, I think it's you know we are we're in college football. We have it's championship weekend, and then immediately after that, a little subtle thing is also transfer portal season. That's that's another headline, but it's really the main focal point is always coaching carousel. And I want to talk a little coaching carousel. And the real reason I brought that up is because my home state right now is Ohio and uh, Cincinnati's coming into the big 12. And one of the main coaches that would have been headlining this new wave of big 12 teams coming in was Luke fickle. And he is so terrified of the Big 12 and having to play the uh, the vaulted K-State Wildcats and, you know, Texas Tech Red Raiders that he dips out to go to Wisconsin. And it just – the madness of coaching carousel. I want to know, like, what do, what do we think? Like, how does it ever end? And – we were almost on the rec- <laughs> we were almost on the receiving end of it with Coach Kleiman going to Nebraska, with all those rumors floating out there being very true. So I want to know what what everybody thinks of the coaching carousel every year, year in and year out. Love it. 
Love it, love it. It's fun when your team is in one, like if it's the right time. Like when it's time for a head coach to be fired or move on, it's a lot of fun. Um, but if it's like where your head coach gets poached by someone, then I'm sure that's just a completely different experience. And not- it's a, it's kind of a guilty pleasure hearing about the coaching carousel. I love it. Um, I love hearing, you know, the Nebraska one was an interesting one for me because, you know, when you do hear about schools that may be looking at your head coach, it definitely gets a little annoying. Um, and you're checking the message boards pretty frequently or you're checking Twitter, but I love it. I mean, I, I think this one, I think this is going to be a relatively light season for that. Um, considering Nebraska, you know, they've already filled that, um, you know, Cincinnati will obviously be an interesting one. And then I think the big thing is going to be, where is Deion Sanders going to end up? You know, I what, think what he might be he my neighbor. He might be my neighbor. It sounds like Colorado's already Colorado? offered the guy. He wow. already got offered. I mean, he already admitted that he was offered uh, a job at Colorado and is keeping his options open because other schools have also offered him. Yeah, I just don't see where the fit is for him at Colorado. He just doesn't scream Colorado to me. Uh, you know, and, and let's be honest. Uh we have incoming school Cincinnati that's got a vacancy, but West Virginia might be vacant here pretty soon too. And I think the coaching carousel kind of kicks off with the teams that have had coaching vacancies early. Like the, like you said, like you said, Matt, Nebraska fills in Matt rule, a big long contract. And I think, that is kind of what they needed, somebody that could rebuild that program, not necessarily just come in and say, oh, we're Nebraska. We're just going to be good no matter what. Look at all this history. They need a rebuilder, and I think Matt Rule can do that. But those they fail pretty quick, but it's when teams start getting poached, like the Wisconsin poaching Cincinnati, and that just starts the whole carousel going. So – Cincinnati, who are they going to fill? West Virginia is going to need to be filled pretty soon because I'm pretty sure Neil Brown's not going to be here. So does Dion go to – and then the SEC schools always seemingly fire late. Uh, does Jimbo survive? It's just a whole lot of storylines. And let's let's not forget that when did, when did Lincoln Riley leave? He left out of nowhere. So it's not it's oh, it always seems super like it's late. gonna be light. Yeah, it's always seems like it's gonna be light, Matt, but you know, it, it could it could change like that and the carousel could be rolling at that nice leisurely pace of a two and then be on a ten real fast. I don't fast. I don't think Lincoln Riley was late. He they lost against Oklahoma State on it was a Saturday. It was Thanksgiving, yeah, yeah Saturday I night. Guess, I guess and it, it just, I think I they swear. just. I think they just they filled the vacancy late. They filled the vacancy late with Brent Venables, which is why it felt a little bit okay. more drawn out. Yeah, but it was yeah. November twenty eighth when he officially left. Yeah, so you're right. But it took them a while to fill it with Venables, and that would probably have been because Clemson was in the college football playoff last were they not last i'm trying to remember were they last year oh i don't yeah 
I don't Who think was so. the quarterback. No, last year, last year was no. the first year they didn't for a long time. Yeah, they didn't make it because Uwe Ungale was still there. Oh, they they played Iowa State in the uh, bowl game and demolished. Yeah, they played the right. Cheez It the Cheez It Bowl. <laughs> yes, that's right. But yeah, you know, so Venerables and and that's another thing that comes with the coaching carousel is the assistants. So like big time assistants from um like with Fickle, with Matt Rule. Matt Rule is gonna he's gonna pluck somebody because he's he's got deep connections. So he's gonna start stealing assistant coaches or maybe head coaches like a Neil Brown. He was an offensive guru. And maybe he goes to somewhere where he can just be an offensive coordinator. And it it always seems to end up like that, where it's like a late vacancy here, uh, uh, a flip here or whatever. And it's it it always seems like it's going to be light. And then all of a sudden it's not. And I, I'm just excited for that. And I would I want to know. I want to know. Are we are we still sure that Coach Klein is Kleiman's going to be here or even Klein? Uh I think absolutely sure. Absolutely sure that both of them are still going to be here. The one of the interesting jobs that opened up uh, would be the Stanford job. Not to say anybody at K State, um, you know, would be in line for that, but you know, Stanford. I would say during my college years, they were consistently a top ten team you know, top in the Pac-12. And that program has dive-bombed the past few years. And that was when they had Harbaugh, right? The, Harbaugh uh, and Shaw. Shaw took over and, in 2000. And Shaw. Yeah, ta- Shaw took over in 2011. But the Harbaugh did have it. has not been good to them. Yeah. 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 And I will be interested to see who comes in to the Stanford job I would say out of the from an attract a job attraction perspective, I know Evan posted that Stanford is up there for me, not just for it's it's hard because it's an academic school and I get that. Um, But from a stature in the Pac-12 and you look at what the Pac-12 is going to be with USC and UCLA out of there, like a school Stanford has to nail this higher so they can get to to the top of the pac 12. Like this is their chance to do it. So I'll be very interested to see who comes in on that one. Um, knowing how bad the fan support is there and, you know, from a year to year basis. I would argue that Colorado is probably the best job available that hasn't been filled yet. Primarily outside of Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is a really damn good job, but I think Colorado would be a good job primarily because they've won a national championship in the last 40 years. That's more recently than Stanford. You don't really know what's happening with conference realignment, but Colorado, I I don't know. It's, it's just, it feels like a better job because there's more recent history and track record of success, knowing that, what was it? Four years ago, three years ago, Mel Tucker was there before he got swooped up by Michigan State, and he won, I think, nine or ten games. So you can win there. You just have to have the right coach. And for whatever reason, Colorado hired Carl Durrell, who I think was below 500 when he was coaching at UCLA in the early 2000s. And that hire never made sense. That was almost as nonsensical of a hire as Mike Riley was at Nebraska, who was another – 
like sub 500, Pac-12, not really any good experience at a power five level coaching anywhere and hiring just some random guy that makes no sense whatsoever. So I, I think Colorado would be an attractive job knowing that you have the facilities, you have the resources, you have the donor base, you have the alumni support and the fan support, regardless of whether you're good or bad, that a team needs. And, and Stanford doesn't really have the fan support, whereas Colorado does. And I think that, that there's a lot to be said about the fan support and the donor support and the alumni support that comes along with, with an institution. I'll say in the Colorado job, I think that's why the Dion kind of avenue is so interesting. Like you're looking for someone to kind of re-energize, like you said, that fan base that's that has been somewhat, you know, apathetic lately. And I mean, win or lose, you know, Dion's going to get eyeballs, right? He's going to get people in those stands and and people excited. So I, I think that's an interesting one. The issue with Stanford is just it, there's so much instability right now in the Pac-12. And I know the Big 12 has similar problems, but you don't know what that conference or even what conference are going to be in, in, you know, five years even. And so I, I think that might scare some people. Um, and then, of course, the academic standards, you know, there's a reason that these academic institutions, other than really Notre Dame, aren't football powerhouses anymore. And it's, it's, it's because of some of those issues. And so Stanford, I don't think, has been as lenient on that as a place like Notre Dame to get those those kind of top top tier players so I don't know it's an interesting job I think it's going to take a very specific fit to go to a place like Stanford I don't think it's a plug and play type of thing where you know a guy like uh, you know Urban Meyer can go in there and, and win or anything like that I think it's going to take someone that would understand that culture and understand kind of what the need would be at a school like that you know what makes me nervous the retiring aspect because you brought up Mel Tuck uh, I don't know who 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 brought up Mel Tucker. Just I think it was Bob. Yeah. Bob in relation to the Mel Colorado Tucker job, and, yeah, yeah. And Mel Tucker took only got the Michigan State job because D'Antonio retired out of nowhere. And I think the same could be said for another uh, Big Ten team, Iowa. Kirk Ferentz is he he can't be long for the the coaching job at Iowa for very much longer with, with how that whole thing is playing out. And you know, they're not going to hire his son. Uh, Iowa makes me nervous because if we thought we were nervous with Chris Kleiman about Nebraska, we're really going to be nervous when Iowa opens up. Let's just not worry um, about it. Well, and, and Kirk Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz is the longest tenured FBS coach right now. So he's following in Bill Snyder's footsteps in that regard. Similar, you know, Hayden Fry guys just going to coach until they decide that they probably shouldn't be coaching anymore. Or when the AD decides that they probably shouldn't be coaching. And uh, it's between him and I think Kyle, Kyle Whittingham at Utah is the second most tenured right now. Dude, he's been there so long. So long. Kyle Whittingham. He still has the, uh, his offensive coordinator is still that Andy Ludwig dude that like, I think Snyder hired in like 2009 and he was here for like three. It's just at the whole, the whole carousel. It don't ever stop. And I, I'm just the, I, you guys think it's fun, but I'm get, I get paranoid about it because, you know, I see the, the, I see jobs that potentially could get us in 
in that carousel and I don't want to be on that ride. I don't want to be on it. Look at it this way. It just means we're, we've been successful. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I, that's more of an assistant thing with me with the, if the assistants are leaving, that's when you know, you're doing good. I don't want our head coach. leaving. That's what, that's my whole thing. You, the, you know, we talk about all the time, like, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go, 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 go. I was going to say, we talk about all the time, you know, the fear of getting coaches poached, but I think K-State's in a really interesting spot. When is the last time our head football or basketball coach has ever left for another job? You know, I mean, Frank Martin, I guess you could count that, but I don't know the last time K-State had a coach poached at the head coaching position. You got like Scotty Hazleton, but I just think it's kind of an interesting exercise when you look back on the, you know, the Snyder years, and then kind of the futility of, of basketball. Yeah, I mean, before, I mean you know. Frank and then what? You'd have to go back to Dana Altman, who but that was a weird situation where he had lost some games and then he just decided to go to Creighton instead. And then uh, prior to that, it was it was Lon. I mean, Lon was the last guy that got poached, but that was another weird situation where maybe there was some nefarious stuff happening in the background involving, you know, whatever we can speculate with long Kruger, similar to what we can speculate with Brent Venables, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on and guys talking ball, cause I think we, I think we touched on the coaching coaching carousel pretty good, but the real question is we want Bama, right? Do we want Bama in the sugar bowl? Who do you want to see in the Sugar Bowl? Because I think it's basically locked up that we're going to the Sugar Bowl. But who do you want to see? I want to see Bama. I want to see us play Bama. I don't want to see LSU because that would just be (laughs) an absolutely annoying home. I mean, it would be a home game for them. It would be absolutely annoying. And we played them last year. So the other two teams like Bama and Tennessee are definitely attractive um, getting a Bama that wouldn't have probably Bryce Young or Will Anderson because they are, would probably opt out of the bowl game. I, I mean, and those are just two of their players. I would bet they have a good handful of players that would opt out for that game. And I feel like we wouldn't necessarily have that issue because we would be playing Alabama. But maybe that's just purple glasses on. Are we talking Bama now? I, I had to mute you guys for a second. Yes, sir. You muted me, you oh, son of a gun. How yeah. dare you? Yeah, I did. God damn it. Yeah. Band. Yeah, we're talking up. we're talking Bama now, baby. Do you, who do you want to see in the Super Bring Bowl? it on. Bama. They're gonna be it's the most recognizable team in the past fucking ten years. Fifteen years. How clean would that yeah. bring on how Bama? How clean would that look though? I mean, because when you think, because that game's on, is that on ESPN? I'm not sure. Sugar That's, Bowl? What, what channel? Oh, yeah. Sugar Bowl. Is that CBS? ESPN. Is that CBS? ESPN, 11 a.m. Give me yeah, uh, I mean, K-State's home unis and Alabama's road unis. I think we would be the road team. Tennessee's higher rate. Oh, yeah, I guess you're, oh, well, I think it would be Bama. I don't think Bama's going to drop. I think we would be in uh, we would be in whites. They would be in their their crimson. I mean, that would just be such a clean look. Let a uh, noon o'clock kick. 
on ESPN and you know they're going to do every highlight under the sun and then we get Nick Saban and then who who does Ben Newman ride with you know Ben Newman oh jeez he, he's I was he, thinking about he's that playing too. both sides <laughs> I was thinking about that too I mean this guy that Kleiman just pays pays money to have you know be a motivation curious I'm case sure of more Ben that, Newman that's all I ever see Pound the stone. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting one. That'll that'll be Fill an interesting one. Like, whose private jet is he going to fly in on? Is it going to be our jet or is it going to be uh, Saban's jet? Who, who knows? The lock. The oh lock man, goal. yeah, I want Bama. Go. No, no go. I was just going to say the locker rooms are close together. You just have to change shirts and just run to the other one. Run to the other one. <laughs> one half with one team, team. One half with the other. <laughs> What are you doing? He's gonna pull. He's gonna pull. He's gonna pull that fucking Roy Williams bullshit where he wore the Jayhawk lapel pin thing with the North Carolina turtleneck sweater while watching the Final Four. It's I don't know. It's just gonna be silly seeing him wear like both. Teams. What if he did like a house divided jersey where he has oh. a K State jersey on one side and the Alabama Crimson Tide jersey on the other side? Like it would be so. Ridiculous. Those are one of my pet. Those are my pet peeves. I. <laughs> I don't have many pet peeves, but people that have house divided things, I can't stand. I hate the one, one of my favorite. One of my favorite Twitter accounts is the random house divided generator that will do a house divided and it will randomly generate like house divided Kansas State Wildcats and, uh, you know, the, the FC Tottenham Hotspurs or something like that. And it's just the most bizarre pairing that you could possibly think of, but it's just a random bot that generates these random pairings you should definitely uh, that was good it's it's a good tottenham hotspur fc but you that was really good i'd give you credit on that get over yourself matt hey chelsea all the way chelsea i know nothing about soccer america but hey usa usa we're final 16 or whatever for the world cup uh I, I mean, does anybody else have anything else that they want to throw head or throw head, throw a bow on for this guys talking ball, this cocaine Willie episode? I'm getting tired and I have an episode to edit that's two hours long now. So who has something that they want to say? And if not, you know, speak now or forever. Hold your peace and go cats. Let's go cats. I was baby. just, just going to say uh, for like the brand and views, you know, Bama would be fun. But I think Tennessee could be a winnable game, too. And uh, speaking about uh, what team Ben Newman would root for, uh, when we were leaving the tailgate, uh, there was a KU fan that was wearing a sweatshirt that was half K-State and half KU. No, It's just nauseating. It's nauseating. It's disgusting. (laughs) It makes me want to puke. And on that note, you know, I don't want to puke, so I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, For all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room, and to everybody who's listening on the feed the next day or days after, uh, thank you. We we appreciate you and had some really good discussion tonight, so so thanks for listening in. Next week, I'm going to be out of the country, so Chef and Fireball Matt are going to be driving this thing. It's going to be on them, so who knows what they're going to have spun up for you. We've got the Cats playing Butler tomorrow in basketball. We've got the Cats playing the Shockers of Wichita State 
after the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. So we've got a lot of good basketball teed up. I think the Cats, you know, we, we might be 12 and 0 heading into conference play. So it could be a could be a fun couple of weeks for for the men's basketball team, but stay tuned on that. Stay tuned on Spotify uh, to be notified when we drop episodes. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcast. We're on a couple other, I think Podvine is a thing that we're on now. So follow the show, leave us a review, give us five stars and uh, leave a rating to let us know what you think of us. Uh, and if it's bad, don't say anything at all because that's what my grandpa taught me. Follow the show at Cocaine Willie on Twitter or follow us individually. I am your commissioner at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef? Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. <laughs> <laughs>